Hey, good, good morning. What a great day to be alive in Austin, Texas. How you doing? It's a tough day if you're a Texas Longhorn. But that's, listen, I'm going to tell you something. I, I am so excited about where this program is going. And I know it's just football, but it's football. So we're, we're excited about that. I, I will say that yesterday's loss was, was compounded by Aggie winning last night the way that they did beating the evil empire of Alabama. So there's a lot going on, a lot of emotions yesterday, a lot of emotions but it's good to be in the house. I really needed to see you. I need church this morning after yesterday. I don't know about you, but uh, it is good, good to be in the house. You know, one of the most fascinating questions that you could ever ask a child is, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because when you ask a child, what do you want to be when you grow up? You get a unique window into that child's heart and soul and mind. You, You see their capacity to dream and imagine things. You, you learn about who they are, their personality, the way that they think. It's a fascinating, fascinating process. I, I've shared with you before that when I was a little guy growing up in Houston, I just knew that I was put on this earth to be the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. I just, that's what I knew to be true in my life. And just for the record, some of y'all laugh at that a little too hard. It's a little hurtful sometimes, but I just, I'm going to push through that today and, and move on. But, I, I, you know, you grow up and you mature and you discover what your gifts and talents are and what they're not. And so, you know, I gave up that dream in my late 30s and realized that I needed to move past it. You know, I remember when Emily was, was really little, our daughter, I remember asking her, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she didn't even skip a beat. She already had it figured out. She said, I want to be a mom. I want to be a teacher. And I want to be the first woman president of the United States of America. And we were like, you go, girl. YGG, as they like to say. I was like, man, get it. And what was funny, too, was her younger brother, Joe, not to be outdone by his big sister. Joe was probably five or six years old about this time. We said, well, Joe, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he got very serious, very, very reflective for a five-year-old. And he goes, I want to be everything. Like, all right, you, that's good, man. That's great. And we, we thought, you know, we laughed internally. We didn't laugh at him in his presence in that moment. But little did we know that he would grow up to get a, a college degree in theater where you literally learn how to be everything. It's kind of funny how that all worked out like that. Um, but, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up is actually a question that we should never stop asking of ourselves. One of the foundational facts of the Christian faith is that we are always in process. And maybe maybe we're not asking, what do you want to be when you grow up? Or what do I want to be when I grow up? But what do we want to be as we grow up? That is to say, we never stop asking God, what's next? How can I glorify you most? How can I serve you? How can I How can I bring you glory through my story? That's something that we should never stop asking as followers of Christ. You know, if you were here last week and you heard Jordan McDaniel bring, he gave us a masterful message. If you missed it, you need to go back and pick it up. Of how we work out our salvation over the course of our journey, personally and spiritually. How do we do that? And it was an incredible incredible message within this entire teaching series, 
faith works. But today we're going to dovetail out of Jordan's message and look at what that means in terms of our day-to-day, in terms of what we do every single day. How does our faith work itself out? How does it, how does it play itself out? Because I don't care if, if, you're a, if you're a student or a stay-at-home parent, if you're a senior in high school or a senior citizen, we are all always in process. We're never done serving God. We're never done loving the Lord. We're never done figuring out where our story fits into his story. This is something that is always an ongoing process. What do I want to be? What am I called to be as I grow up in Christ, as I mature in my faith, in my followership of Jesus? What does that look like? In essence, what are you going to do with your life? I remember when I was 15 years old, I asked the pastor of the church where I grew up in Houston, Dr. Young. I said, Dr. Young, how do you know God's will for your life? And I thought that was a pretty good question for a 15-year-old. But I was very sincere. I was trying to figure this out, and I'll never forget Dr. Young's answer. He put that big old Mississippi paw on my shoulder, and he looked at me with those steel blue eyes and just kind of bored in through me, and he said, Mac, partner, you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind and strength. And I remember at 15, yes, sir. I mean, I, I, was, I was like, okay, th- here it comes, here it comes. He goes, and then you do whatever you want to do. And at 15 years old, I remember being so underwhelmed with that answer. Now, don't tell him I said that, but I remember thinking, whatever you want to do, but with the benefit of the intervening 40 years since that moment, I I have come to discover that Dr. Young, again, was dead right. If you love God with everything you have, if you submit and surrender every part of your life, every nook and cranny, every crack and crevice to the will of the God who loved you enough to create you on purpose, with a purpose, then do whatever you want to do. That's incredible, incredible counsel. The book of Colossians, Paul is writing to this fledgling family of followers of Christ, trying to help them understand what it looks like to live out their faith. And he's, he's explaining in Colossians chapter three that because of the difference Christ has made in your life, your life will look different. He says, put on the, the new self, put on compassion, kindness, gentleness, humility, put these things on and be more like Christ as you live your life. But not only is your life gonna look different, Your your home will look different. Your family will look different. He even goes so far as to say that your work will look different. Look in Colossians chapter number three. This, This is what the Bible says. It says, whatever you do, everybody say whatever. Whatever. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. As working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you 
are serving. Now, this principle is played out and spelled out throughout the entire Bible. But I think here in Colossians chapter 3, Paul frames it so powerfully, so beautifully for us to, to really get our arms around this. And it's this, it's this principle that, that a lot of times we focus as children on what we want to be when we grow up. But isn't it true that a lot of people never figure that out? Isn't it true that, that we know people who are quote unquote grownups and still don't know, but they, they get up and go every day because you got to eat and you got to have money for food and shelter and all the, all the necessities of life, but they've never really and truly gotten deliberate and intentional in a relationship with God to figure out what they ought to be doing, where they ought to be doing it. And that's because they've missed the order of operations. The order of operations here. I like to remember this spiritual law with a, with a mathematical equation. And here it is. This is the, the spiritual law in a mathematical format. You ready? How and why are greater than what and where. How and why we do what we do is greater than, it's more significant, it's more important than what we do and where we do it. Now, I'm not suggesting to you that, that what we do and where we do doesn't matter. That absolutely matters. As a matter of fact, please don't ever buy the lie. You can do whatever you want to do. No, you can't. A lot of times, I mean, here, go back to my childhood dream to be the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. If I spent every day of my life, eight hours a day in the gym and on the field doing drills, pumping my body full of steroids, I'm never going to play in the NFL. That is not, was not in the cards for this. That just, that just wasn't going to happen. So in order for us to figure out, to answer the question, what and where, what do you want to be when you grow up? We have to first begin with how and why we do what we do. Again, this transcends station in life. How, how many of you are students? Let me just see a show of hands of the students in the room. If you're going to be in a classroom somewhere this week, man, prayers are with you. I, I, I have no desire to go back to school at all. But even for students, how and why you do what you do will help you figure out what and where you're going to do it. If you will think about tomorrow in school, this idea of how you work and why you work because of your faith, because of your relationship with Christ, that will help you figure out what to do and where to do it as you go throughout your life. If you're in a job right now, how many of us are in a job right now that we love, that you really like what you do? Let me see a show of hands. That's great. My, my, for the record, my hand is up too. I'm not just doing this as an example. I love what I get to do. How many of us, though, could love what we do more than we do right now? Let me just see a show of hands. That's fine. I, I get it. Listen, I totally get it. As we've said throughout this series, our faith working itself out doesn't necessarily mean that you have to quit what you're doing, sell everything, and become a missionary in some dark, deep, dark recess of the globe. That may be what God wants you to do, but more than likely, God wants to take you exactly where you are 
and use you as a missionary in that place right now. More than likely, God wants you to shift your focus and your perspective so that you begin to see your work as an outworking of your faith, of, of making it real in everything that you do, in bringing to everything that you do this week, your faith in Christ, the reality of the hope that we have in Christ. How many of you have a meeting scheduled this week with somebody difficult? My hand is not up. I'm just kidding. How many of you have a meeting? Go ahead and raise your hand. Get your hands up. Go ahead and raise your hand. I want you to keep your hands up. Here's why. Take a look around the room. Look around the room right now. Look at how many hands are up. You are not alone and you are not crazy. Well, you're at least not alone. No, but you're not. I mean, this is part of what the church does. We remind each other that we're in this together. We, we got your back, if you will. But when you walk into that meeting this week with that difficult client, that difficult boss, that, that difficult spout, I'm, I mean, wh whatever you do, wherever you go, you are working out your faith. Work is not just in the marketplace. Work is at home. Work just means our output. It's what we produce. And you, you have, a, you have a, an output in your family, in your home, whatever that may be. Matter of fact, a lot of times, how many of us know that work at home is harder than work at work? Thank you for not raising your hand and shouting amen. That was a smart move on some of your parts. But it's true. How many times do we see people, men and women in the marketplace, crazy successful while home is a train wreck? That's because work is easier. It's always easier to go to work than it is to work with the people who know you best of all. But even there, you need a work ethic. I didn't, I would, when Julie and I got married, I wasn't smart enough to ask God for everything he gave me in her. I mean, is she beautiful? Yes. Does she kiss great? Yes. Is she an incredible mother? Yes. I had no idea the depth of her work ethic. I have never met anybody in my life who works harder than my wife. She works tirelessly. She works joyfully. If you right now are not married, may I just suggest to you that work ethic is one of the main things you ought to put near the top of your list of somebody you're looking for to possibly marry in life, you don't want to be married to somebody lazy. Somebody, help me preach. You don't. I mean, Julie, she works so hard. She works joyfully. She, she loves to work. And there, there are times where I just sit back and go, God, thank you. I think about the work that we've done on our marriage through the years. I think about the work that I've seen her do with with Fearless Mom, the work that I've seen her do as a mom to our kids, to, to people in our church, to this community. And I'm like, that's, that's that right there, that's what it's all about. And I think that's what Paul is describing here in Colossians. So when we talk about the, the how and the why being greater than the what and the where, it, it it would behoove us, I like, I like the word behoove, that's just a good word. It would behoove us to answer the question, how and why? Paul's laid it out for us here in Colossians. How 
The first question, how? The answer, with all your heart. With all your heart. That you, you put everything you've got into whatever you do. That's it. We said at the beginning of this series that we all have a work ethic. That means that we have a belief system, a system of values about work. Whether we do it by design and intentionally or by default and incidentally, it, it, it is there. You've got one. But remember, we, we have a working definition of a biblical work ethic. A biblical work ethic says that we are working with and for God in everything we do. No matter what you do, you are working with and for God in every single thing you do. When you're at work, when you're at home, even how you rest and recuperate and recover and recharge, that is a function of your faith. We are working with and we are working for God in everything that we do. That's, that's a biblical work ethic. And if that's true, and that means that you put all your heart into it. You, you don't hold anything back. You work hard. If you're a follower of Christ, let me go back to the students. If you're a Christ follower, you don't cheat on tests. You don't look it up on your phone when you're in the middle of homework. You, you do the work. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Work at it with all your heart. If you're in the marketplace, you don't cut corners ethically, in terms of integrity, financially. If you work in the marketplace, you, you, you represent the rest of us as a family of faith. I used to tell our kids all the time when they got into high school and started going out, I said, number one, be careful. You're carrying precious cargo everywhere you go, so be careful. But number two, don't embarrass the family. Deanne Wilson on our staff likes to tell people when we walk out the door to go to lunch, she says, make good choices, there are cameras everywhere. <laughs> but it's not just because there are cameras everywhere, it's because we represent one another. When you go to work tomorrow, you, you represent me, you represent Christ. When I go to work today, I represent you. I represent Christ. I represent you when I hunker down and study and prepare for a sermon. I'm going to work at it with all of my heart because I represent Christ, but I represent you. I don't want to embarrass you. When you invite your friends to come to this church, <laughs> I'm not going to just like stand up and go, well, you know, I thought about this this morning on my way to church. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to work at it with all my heart. I, I, at the craft of preaching, the, the, the work that has to go into it, this, this does not just happen. So we work at it with all our heart. We work hard at what we do. If we're a follower of Christ, that doesn't mean that you're going to be the smartest guy in the room. Thank goodness. <laughs> that doesn't mean that you're the most gifted gal in the room, but it does mean you're going to be the hardest worker in the room. As a follower of Christ, no one will outwork us because we're going to work at it with all our heart. That's how, whatever we do. And you may be saying, Mac, Mac, you don't understand. I hate my job. Mac, you don't understand. I hate school. I get it. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt on the school part, not the job part. Although I've had jobs I didn't like. But I've noticed when I work 
hard, God shows up. When I work hard in my marriage, when I work hard as a dad, when I work hard as a pastor, when I work hard with all my heart, that's when God shows up. You're probably never going to use Algebra 2 in your life. Don't, don't ask that question. But you're absolutely going to use the work ethic that you're developing, the muscle memory that you're developing day in, day out, night in, night out. Work at it with all your heart. Whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. But there's a second question embedded in this passage. Why? Why do we work at it with all of our heart? Why? There are two answers to this question. Answer number one, he says, because you are working for the Lord. You are working for Christ. Now, I know that most of us get up and go to work and, and you get a paycheck because you need money. I, listen, nobody understands that. I get that. But money is not a good enough why on its own. Money does not satisfy the why. Money's a factor. You're, you're, here's what I like to say. You're spiritually immature if you make a bigger deal out of money than it is, but you're also spiritually immature if you make less of a deal than it is. It's a thing. It's a reality. We, we have to keep it in its proper perspective, in its proper spiritual and emotional place in our lives. But the ultimate why for whatever we do, we do it for the Lord. We do it for him. That's why you spend another hour on the sermon. That's why you make another phone call to a client. That's why you make sure that you know that you know your homework before you go to school the next day. Not because you don't want to get in trouble. Not because you want to make straight A's and go to Harvard. Not because it's because you are working for the Lord. We are serving him. That's my why. That's number one. But there's a second part to this answer as well. You will receive an inheritance. The Bible says, as a follower of Christ, based on why we work and how we work, we will receive an inheritance from the Lord. God blesses hard work. That's an amazing thing. Now, I, I know that sometimes people like to kind of hyper-spiritualize, like, I don't work for the reward, I work for the Lord. I, I get it, I get it, but if God says he will give you a reward and an inheritance, may I suggest to you, take it. If God says, I'll give you something, you know it's good, you know he has your best interest at heart, and if he says he'll give you an inheritance, take it. I remember one time I picked up Joseph from football practice. He was in seventh grade, and it was him and a few of his friends. And they all piled into my truck at the same time, and they got in the truck, and they were having a conversation because that day at practice, they had learned that several of the guys on their team, their dads had played football in college and even the NFL. And Joe and his buddies were kind of like, man, that's not fair. I can't believe, no wonder they're already shaving. Blah, blah, blah. And I just kind of let the conversation go. And I was like, yeah, guys, I, you know, I get it. I said, listen, fellas, just let me tell you, there's some things that can't outpace genetics 
athletically. And they kind of, yeah, I guess so. There's a little pause, and Joseph in the front seat looked over at me, and he went, thanks a lot. <laughs> He's ungrounded next year. Um, we all inherit things from our parents. Maybe how tall we are, how short we are, what kind of hair we have or had. freckles, skin tone, whatever it might be. We all inherit these things. But don't miss the fact. Don't, don't just skate by the fact that God promises an inheritance to those who work for him with all their heart. This is a promise from the heart of God. And if we really believe that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, and we do, then I can know that even the stuff that I don't like doing, even the parts of work that are hard or unpleasant, if I do it with all of my heart because I'm serving the Lord, that's my why, he's going to use it. And that he promises me an inheritance. He, he promises me a reward for serving him, for, for searching for that purpose, for trying to discern and determine how to bring him glory through my story. And when I remember that the inheritance from God is the fact, the fact that nothing can separate me from the love of God. I told our staff this past week, we had our all hands on deck staff meeting that we do monthly. And I said, I want you to be thinking spiritually, personally, about scaling, about scaling up your capacity, scaling up your ability, scaling up your ministry, whatever it might be. And I used in this, this story the, the parable that Jesus told about the parable of the talents, you, you, you might have heard of this before. You may have never heard it. Jesus often would tell these stories of earthly references to explain heavenly and spiritual truths and law. And, and in this particular story, Jesus said there was a wealthy landowner who was going to take a trip. And before he left on this long journey, he entrusted to three of his servants three different amounts of money. The, the word talent was a word that was used for a certain sum of money. And the scholars, biblical scholars, have decided that it, it's not entirely clear, but it was a large amount of money. One talent, most scholars believe, was equal to 16 years of these workers' wages. So servant number one got five talents. Servant number two got two talents. And servant number three got one talent. They all got different amounts, but they were all entrusted with a certain amount from their master. The master leaves on the journey, he returns, and he asks for an accounting of what they have done with the money that he had entrusted to each of them. Servants numbers one and two had doubled what the master had entrusted to them. The one with five had turned it into another five, he had 10. The one who had been given two, doubled that, he had four. Servant number three had taken his one talent and dug a hole in the ground and hidden it so nothing would happen to it. And he said, Master, I've got your money. Here it is. 
And Jesus tells this story, making the point that servants numbers one and two had acted faithfully with what they had been entrusted with. They had scaled up what the master had given them. Servant number three had acted unfaithfully and hidden what he had been given. And usually we, we tell this story and we preach this story that Jesus taught to explain faithfulness and unfaithfulness, and that's true and it's there. But I thought this time, let, let's, let's take a look at number three. Servant number three, why did he dig a hole and bury it in the ground? I thought about that old, that old gospel song. Remember? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it. You're not going to make me sing this by myself, are you? <laughs> this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Remember the other verse? Hide it under a bushel. Very good. I'm going to let it shine, hide it under a bushel. I'm going to let it shine, hide it under a bushel. You know what? Some of y'all went to VBS and you were Presbyterians. I want to hear some charismatic VBS kids. Hide it under a bushel. There it is. Pentecostals in the house. Why, why would he hide it under a bushel? Jesus tells us it's because he was afraid. He was afraid of the master. He said, I knew that you were a harsh master, and so I didn't want anything to happen to it. You and I do not serve a harsh master. The Bible tells us in 1 John 4, God is love, and perfect love drives out fear. Whoever is afraid has not been perfected in love. Because of who Christ is, we have got nothing to fear. We can let it fly. We can let it go. Don't be afraid. Let it fly. Hide it under a bushel. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. I am convinced of this, Paul said. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, neither life nor death, angels nor demons, principalities. Nothing can separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine let it shine, let it shine. This is who God is. This is what he does. He has promised us an inheritance. He has promised us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Galatians chapter four, the Bible says, when the time set had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship, that, that, that we could be adopted into the family of God himself. You want to talk about genetics? You want to talk about an inheritance? Whatever Christ has, we inherit with him. I didn't make that up. That's what the Bible says. We are co-heirs with Christ, in Christ. Verse 6, because you are his sons and daughters, 
God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. You're an heir with Christ, in Christ. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And in this sacred moment, I just, I have to ask the question. Are you? Are you someone who has personally and definitively accepted the amazing grace of God in Christ? Have you chosen to follow him, to trust him more than you trust yourself? If you haven't, if you're here in person or you're online as a church, we want to just invite you to do that right now. Don't leave it to chance. Don't leave here wondering or log off wondering. You can know that you know that you know this same God. This God who loved you enough to create you on purpose, with a purpose, and who calls you to live a life of purpose. A life that answers both the how and the why. If you want to take hold of that for the first time in your life, then we invite you to pray. Just right where you're sitting, talk to God silently from your heart to his. Just say something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I confess my sin to you, holding nothing back in order to claim and receive your forgiveness, your amazing grace. And I accept this gift. I will follow you from this moment forward with my whole heart. Jesus, I pray this prayer in your name. If you would, I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed for a moment. A sacred moment because God's moving in people's lives. If that was your prayer, I want you to know you're surrounded by people who are excited for you. People who want to help with what's next. And so I want to ask you if you would do a couple of things. Number one, let us know that God did that in your life. If you're watching online, you can let us know by the space provided there. Or if you're here in person, as you walk out today, there's a place called The Hub out underneath the front porch. Just tell someone there. Just take a brief moment. Make the time and say, hey, I prayed that prayer at the end of the sermon today. Today was my day. It'll take just a couple of minutes. It's not a long, drawn-out thing. 
But as a church, we get to, we want to help with what's next because this is a beginning for you. And so the second thing I would ask, if you don't mind, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if that was your prayer and you meant it, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up high in the air for a second. As a statement, physically, of the commitment spiritually that you just made and know that as a family, we're with you and we wanna help and we celebrate that with you. As you put your hands down, we're gonna put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.